sneezing through the springtime. Welcome to Hand of Pot. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the 240th episode, 240, of Hand of Pod, the internet's finest and only English language Argentine football podcast. I'm Sam Kelly, and this week I'm joined by Andres Bruckner. Hello, I feel privileged to be here, as you say, the only finest and only, which are obvious, because if it's, if it's the only one, it's the finest. Indeed. But I feel good to be here. We pride ourselves on our lack of competition here on Handapod. Um, we have an exciting weekend, if we can remember it, which I'm struggling to do still, uh, of Primera Dimisión action to get through, and of course a very exciting World Cup qualifying doubleheader to preview in a bit. Um, I will begin, I think, once it's loaded... Just down a second, there we go. Uh, by reading out the scores from last weekend in the premiere of bloody hell, how many adverts are there on this website? Pardon me. I will also add that uh, my introduction was because my allergies got set off um, on a short walk just before Andres arrived this evening. So if you hear me sneezing in the background while Andres is talking, or indeed if I have to cut off myself to sneeze, I apologise. Um, I would try and cuts the podcast at appropriate points but to be honest it might turn out to be too much editing so I'm not going to bother um, I'm just going to try not to sneeze here we go the scores from the weekend were Tempele nil Olimpo de Bahia Blanca nil um, on, that was the only game on Friday night on Saturday Quilmes beat Godoy Cruz 1-0 at home River Plate and Estudiantes got a 1-1 draw uh, River with a nominal home side in that one but as we mentioned last week it was held in Huracan's stadium Sarmiento lost 2-1 in Junín against Lanús. Colón and Arsenal in uh, Santa Fe was a 1-0 win for Colón. Racing got a 2-1 home win over Newell's Old Boys. San Martín got a 2-0 home win over Belez Sarsfield. And then on Sunday the following happened. Banfield 1, Atlético de Rafaela 1. Tigre 2, Belgrano de Córdoba 1. San Lorenzo 2, Huracán 0 in the Clásico. Um, Tacheres 1, Patronato 0 in Córdoba Rosario Central 0, Independiente 0 And Gimnasia La Plata 0, Boca Juniors 3 On Monday, Aldo Civi 0, Defensa Justicia 0 And Atletico Tucumán 1, Union 1 That took place in the end? When did that get played? Oh, that was on Tuesday Oh, they... I remember it was called off on Monday night, uh, and I didn't realise it had been rescheduled already, so I completely missed that that match had actually taken place. Um, but there we go. We shall begin with the Clásico, um, because I'm sort of struggling slightly to remember it, but uh, Ricardo Caruso Lombardi, you were saying just before we started recording, Andres, was not too happy with the goals, was he? Yes, no, I, the only thing I could catch was that, uh, of course... Uh, Caruso Lombardi crying, which is almost something natural at this point, because of the for him terrific, not terrific, terrific will be good, terrible 
uh, action from from Darío Herrera, the referee of that match, uh, well, complaining like he was the only bl uh, the responsible for for the defeat of his team of Huracan. Um, I don't think so. I we, even without uh, having watched uh, that game, I can say for sure that no, there is no referee that, uh, of course. He can be wrong. He can be. Uh, he can award the penalty, which wasn't penalty. He can uh, disallow a goal, which was licit. But uh, normally they don't are the main responsible or they're exclusively to blame for a result. And and what Carlos Lombardi tries to do is to, well, to give all the the responsibility to the to the referee, who was Dario Herrera, who could have been wrong could have been awful but uh, for me it's not uh, that so so uh, terrible to be the only responsible of course Huracan has been playing wrong also awfully with a first defeat I don't remember who Atletico Tucumán I think it was the first uh, match with Caruso Lombardi at the bench yes it was Atletico Tucumán uh, now I remember and after after that match, it was I think two draws and two defeats or something like that. He hasn't won anymore. Uh, so that's not because the referees were uh, awarding penalties to the rivals and that. It's because Rakan is playing not in a, at a very good performance. Uh, indeed, uh, uh, once you can you can say once that the referee was wrong, but not all of the matches. No, indeed. Um, and as I. Uh said before and in fact on this recording a couple of minutes ago um, so I was struggling to remember it really partly because I didn't sleep very well on, on Tuesday night um, but we're watching the, the goals back now and I was thinking oh yeah did he give a penalty when he shouldn't have given a penalty or he sent somebody off at some point and no neither of those things happened um, it's just Caruso Lombardi being Caruso Lombardi we are watching so, you were watching sorry to, to interrupt you, yeah, yeah. you are, we are watching now the goals uh, or the first goal for San Lorenzo uh, scored by Cautelucho, and he has the ball for 80 meters or 50 meters because it was a, a bad uh, free kick from Huracan. And after that uh, point, uh, Cautelucho crosses the midfield and goes with the ball, and no one uh, can do anything. Back off and back off and back off, yes. and they never get tight to him. Um, and, you know, I mean, San Lorenzo are one of the best clubs in the league, uh, one of the best teams in the league, I should say. I wouldn't like to give an opinion over the institution itself in any way. Um, and Huracan are not, to put it very kindly to them. So, 2-0 seems about right. It's also not a classical that's, you know, historically particularly closely fought. It, San Lorenzo have got a very, very heavy um, historical advantage in, in, in their head-to-head. -head. Um, oh, that was the one, right? There was a penalty, which in fact was slightly harsh. That That's that's true. Um it hit the arm. Yes, but the, 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 those are things. The now. But again, as, as you say, quite rightly, the better team won the match, even taking that into account. So it's sort of difficult to get too annoyed with it. Um, even though you can sort of look at it and go, yeah, okay, that one decision was, was not brilliant. Um, but yes, as you say, Caruso Lombardi is being Caruso Lombardi. That's, that's what he does. That is, that is uh, true Argentine football. Is the 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 environment of football of football in Argentina which is to complain constantly with the, when the referees uh, aren't uh, correcting in their decisions 
but in the other hand, they don't say, yes, he gave us a penalty that wasn't penalty. Uh, it's only complaining when, of course, you are uh, uh, the one who concedes the goal because of the penalty, not be not when you are uh, benefited by the action. Uh, no, and, and it should probably be um, clarified that the, the penalty, in fact, didn't lead to a goal. Uh, it was uh, the third penalty that Nestor Ortigosa has failed to score in his career. Um, the last two have been against Jordan Raquel, funnily okay. enough, because the previous one was in April this year as well in the Classico. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, Carusa Lombardi being Carusa Lombardi in the Classico, as usual, as we're used to. Um, and then in the other matches involving other big five sides, uh, let's go with, well, let's, let's do what we normally do um, and talk about River first, who improved, I thought, quite impressively um, at the back. It was their most disciplined performance yet. It wasn't their first, uh, well, it, it wasn't a clean sheet, and they have kept, I think, a couple already this season. Certainly, at least one. Um, but given the standard of the opposition, um, I thought it was a good performance. Although, having said that, Estudiantes showed River a lot too much, much, a lot too much, no, much too much, far too much respect, um, considering the form that River have been in. But what did you make of it, Andres? It was a one-one draw in Oracan's stadium. Just to remind people. Yes, uh, <coughs> River might may, may have uh, improved a bit or a lot. How, whatever you can uh, give your opinion could have been a great match at the, at the beginning but at the end it's the same old story or the repeated uh, finish, finishing games that has been having, having River with as, as, the, as the one of the teams which is not finishing the games uh, they can score because they have a strong attack but a very very we have been saying this episode by episode because it's been repeating match by match which is uh, a defense that every ball that comes to the box is half a goal Mm. Uh, in this case River was good at uh, perhaps their midfield not not letting Estudiantes to be so aggressive anyway Estudiantes is not aggressive every match Uh, they play uh, the matches the way they they, depending on the rival if the rival attacks them they they can comfortably wait and uh, try to attack when they can. And and the good thing from Estudiantes is that they don't need to play well to score goals. Mm. Um, because a, a bad action by Moreira, who was playing at the, as a left-back, not right-back, because of the, uh, the changes due to injuries, yes, uh, made him make a mistake and that's where the Estudiantes equalizer born. Um, after before that, it was perhaps nothing from Estudiantes in terms of attacking and and, and making River be be beware of of Estudiantes. Uh, but it's something that uh, you can you can see you can smell from from River in terms of uh, that they don't they don't control the games they yeah. are, they don't give have the I don't have the feeling from River to be they have the games under control and that's what. So, Sorry to interrupt, yes, but uh, yes. it's sounding like you would sort of disagree with Marcelo Gachardo, who after the match apparently said that he was sort of it was the the best performance that he'd seen, considering the standard of the well, opposition. Well, could be could have been a good performance or the best if you want, but the I, I don't say that the result is the only thing that matters. But uh-huh. what you see, the results of the last matches, and you see that they won against Vélez three 0 and then it was a, I think a defeat against Patronato and. and just getting them up now. Hang on a second. 
equalizers, all of them equalizers except for uh, Atletico de Rafaela. Yeah, right, 3 0 against Vélez at home, 2 uh, 1 away to Patronato, a defeat, um, and then a 1 0 win against Atletico de Rafaela, and then two draws in a row, so 2 2 away to Arsenal and 1 1 at home to Estudiantes. Um, and when you see that, uh, you can tell that uh, it's a team that it's not regular, it's not the. Mm. Uh, they don't play. I, of course, uh, I don't want to say that the injuries aren't important and the, because uh, Milton Casco is at this point important uh, for the team, even though that the, he's not showing a great performance, but he was the, the, the right, left back in the. Uh, in, Naturally, in the starting lineups, and uh, well, Gallardo could have uh, cho uh, chosen to include uh, uh, Olivera, uh, a kid, a young uh, left, left back, left mm. back, but he cho chose to chose to put um, Moreira as a, as a left back, who is more experienced than Olivera, but not uh, a natural left, left back. Well, that, those are decisions that make the team play one way or the other. Uh, uh, so well, uh, yes, he, they play well, but uh, when you can't finish the matches, it's a problem of finishing the matches. Of uh, you have the possibility to score again and don't you can't do it, or you aren't the the, the powerful enough to make the the rival to be uh, well uh, to to be there in, in in their side and to for you to to to. Uh, well, to be more accurate in the in the actions in the mm. in the, in the goals, goal opportunities. Absolutely, um, I saw a lot of people, River fans particularly, tweeting during the match. Guys, Studiantes are top of the league and they're playing, you know, like this as, as if in disbelief. And I didn't say anything to any of them because they were just being dicks, basically. But uh, you know, they sort of wanted to go. Well, they've not been playing like that in every match. Clearly, first of all. And secondly, it's, it's game management, yes. isn't it? You have to, you know, you know when to go forward, you know when to attack. And yeah, River were not in particularly good form, but obviously River's attack, at least, is you know, River almost by respect. definition is 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 the the strongest or one of the strongest that Estudiantes have faced so far this year. River still inspires respect because, uh, well, Juice is the top goal scorer of the league mm. because Salario is not at a very a high moment, but he can. He's still scoring a goal every other game. Uh, Pity Martin has been increasing his his level also, yeah. and they inspire respect. But Estudiantes, uh, uh, it was told to be pragmatic, to be to play like the how the the match asks to play, uh, and they are intelligent. It's not that they are, uh, well, they were on their pitch because they wanted, uh, but they knew that they could. Uh, score at any moment of the match and they did when uh, again Vargas did a great play there uh, with the, with a brilliant cross for Alfki who scored with the header and the well defense river defense was useless there yeah um, and another impressive showing on Estudiantes side from the the midfield sort of base of Israel Ramonte and um, Santiago Ascasiva who, who have become a uh, fantastic uh, duo really and, and, and have led Estudiantes to the top of the table which is where Estudiantes stay in spite of dropping two points away to River um, and he said uh, talking about sorry about Ascasibar he he said the, the other day in a, during an interview that he he dreamed or he would be fascinated to play with Juan Sebastián Verón who is 
I know if he if he Veron is a mirror for for him, but mm. could be. But the point is that Veron uh, promised that he will play Copa Libertadores if the, he sells the uh, the the, uh, the bonus or certain number of uh, yes. Well, reserved seat. It's a sort of addition to the obviously. The, I suppose the nearest equivalent would be a, a season ticket, but obviously, as regular listeners will be aware, we don't have season tickets in Argentina. You become a member of the club, and so some club members will pay for a set seat in the stadium, and that's the abono. Um, yes. And yeah, Veron has said that he will play the Libertadores next year for Estudiantes if, if the club sells enough. And, and uh, surprise, surprise, the fans are desperate for that to happen, yes. in spite of the fact that Veron is now. He has 40, he, something like that. And hasn't Some, played professional football. Yes, for he, what, he started training. I'm going to look up exactly how old yeah, he is just to make sure. Something like but that. I'm sure he was like 38 when he retired. He's 41. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this this gives you some idea as well of, of what um, high position he holds in in uh, the estimation of Estudiantes fan base even today. Uh, well, of course today because he's a club president as well. Remember. Um, Moving on, one reason that Estudiantes were able to, um, in fact, slightly extend their lead at the top of the table was that Newell's old boys, who were second going into the weekend, were defeated 2-1 away to Racing, who, as a result, I think, have gone second themselves, haven't they? Um, Oh, they haven't, sorry. Uh, That defeat has allowed Boca and San Lorenzo to catch up to Newell's points totals, in fact, so we now have three teams who are joint second. Obviously, I'll go through the standings properly a little later. Um, but two goals from Gustavo Ball um, in fairly quick succession at the end of the first half were enough to to sort of see off um, Newell's in that match, which I thought was it was pretty entertaining. The middle sort of third of it. I mean, all of the goals came in seven minutes before half-time. Racing scored. Newell's equalised through Mauro Formico. got his second goal in, in two matches. Um, and then Bull scored again uh, right on the stroke of half-time to, to make it 2-1 and then it was half-time and then you know the second half no more goals but the, certainly the first half of the second half if you like was, was still fairly um, uh, open and then it, it sort of the match started drifting towards its conclusion um, but Racing are looking or starting to look a little more comfortable now with Sielinski's management. I think particularly at home, they, they weren't. They, they looked more balanced. They looked a bit more comfortable about how they were being asked to play than they were in some of the previous games. Yes, we we talked, or I talked about a pragmatic team like Estudiantes, and I think Racing is starting to be like that too because it's like they are don't they don't do crazy things. They don't uh, play uh, crazily in attack, but they uh, it's like they, it's like they do. They, they they see the opportunities and they take them. It's like that. It's uh, with the players they have, like Acuna, Bow, who has been uh, absent from the goals, but now he scored two. With Lisandro Lopez, who is a uh, thirty-something two years, but uh, still with the uh, energy to to play. Uh, with some some players that are uh, at high level, and that is the main secret for Racing to be. To defeat a team like Newell's, who has been surprising too, with uh, being there at the second uh, table pos- posi- uh, positions table, mm. um, and yes, they, I think they they finally won the game uh, reasonably. I think it was a, a, a good result in terms of the, how the match was uh, was going. So it, yes, I think it's 
like you said, it's Zielinski, I think both. It's their team comfortable with Zielinski and Zielinski gotten to know the players and, and, and playing the way the players can. Yeah, um, slightly ironically, given that he's called up for the national team uh, for the upcoming World Cup qualifiers, which we'll be talking about after the break, I thought Marcos Acuna turned in possibly his least impressive performance of the season. Although I've not been watching incredibly closely to Racing, but um, he, he looked, you know, not, not to pass judgment, everybody can have a, a bad game and he didn't have a bad game, but he, he looked a little, uh, maybe like he had that on his mind. Maybe like he was thinking, bloody hell, I'm going off to Argentina. Yes, to see, you know, he, something similar to Alario happened. Yeah. Uh, he, he said that he would have been, uh, I mean Alario, uh, who would have been great for him to be at the national team again, but that he will be a, support, uh, a normal supporter, not being there the, at Belarizonte. Um, but that his way of being, his, uh, uh, his calm, his like, uh, not very expressive, Mm. That perhaps he that's that has to do with his actual performance. Uh, that, that's not very good at River, and and as a consequence, that he has hasn't been called. He didn't. Uh, Bausa hasn't called him up again. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing perhaps happened to to Acuna. With well, it's a bad match, uh, but uh, overall, I think him and Belut- Belutki and one two of the best players in the league right now. Yes, indeed. Um, Moving on to the next big five club to play. We've covered River, we've covered Racing, we've already done San Lorenzo as well. Uh, which means Independiente away to Rosario Central. We hate to say this again on another podcast on which Peter wasn't here, but there's not very much to say about that match. Uh, we called it last week as looking like a slightly dull one, and that was basically what happened. Again, um, Independiente playing well not, and not uh, translating that game into the, into the net. Yes, exactly. Yeah, playing functionally, and in fact, you're you're quite right. They they produce more chances um, than we've seen from them uh, in a fair while, but they still couldn't score anyway. Um, I would imagine that Gabriel Milito is going to be happy with yet another clean sheet, especially away from home. Um, and they'll see it as a probably as a point gained given Central's uh, very good home record under Eduardo Caldet. Um But yeah, the match itself was sort of beyond that plenty of chances it wasn't sort of that much of a thriller Hustlers Central played with the same team that they they had played against Boca for Copa Argentina or it was a change there they went with uh, Salazar GC Tosiglieri Vishagra Montosha Martinez Camacho Colman Bordagaray Ruben so a few changes Bordagaray perhaps it's the main Menosse was playing against Boca in the Copa wasn't he and, and Herman Herrera um, but yeah by and large the same side um, so that could explain. Yes, that is that is the strange point about the Independiente not being able to win and to score at least one goal. Because mm. when you don't score goals, of course your mind starts to work and say, "Well, we are not scoring. We are uh, with not accurate in the in the net." And second consecutive game in which they uh, play deserving, they win and they can't uh, they they can't get it. Mm. Indeed. Um, but one team who did manage to cut a run short, uh, a winless run, was Boca Juniors, who away to Gimnasia um, on Sunday night ended a run of 37 and a half weeks, that's almost a full-term pregnancy, um, of 
uh, without away game away wins in the league. Um, I stress in the league because they have had one since on the 28th of April, I think it was, the um, first leg of the Copa Libertadores second round um, away to Cerro Porteño they won. Um, but in the league they haven't won since the 17th of February when they beat San Martin 2-1 in San Juan. Uh, Boca got their first away win since then, 3-0 away to Ignacia. It was not without a couple of controversial points, most of which um, centred around... I think the media tried to kick up a bit more of a controversy mm-hmm. than really was there. And that match, uh, sorry, the first goal. That match against San Martín and Juan, which was had been had been the last victory as a as a white condition, mm. uh, was it with Guillermo Rosasquelato or with? It was with Arroyo It was Daniel Osvaldo's last game for Boca. So Guillermo Rosasquelato hasn't hasn't won won a match a single match as a coach of Boca. Well, the uh, the Cerro Porteño game in the Libertadores, I think he was in charge by that point. Um, but yeah, he hadn't won a league match away. Obviously, we, the Copa Argentina is, is on neutral ground, so they're not away there. Um, but um, yeah, in terms of actual away games, this was the first one. Um, so well done, Guillermo Rosasquelato. The first goal, as I say, involved a bit of a. I tend to think manufactured controversy because the ball was played into Carlos Tevez and it hit Carlos Tevez sort of chested it it went up and then it hit his hand and then he got it under control mm. and played it through and Dario Benedetto scored um, shortly after in fact while Boca were celebrating that uh, Gimnasia were uh, surrounding the referee to um, argue about the fact that uh, in their opinion that there had been a handball that had been intentional from Tevez Um, and Ramiro Carrera uh, decided, as well as just arguing with the referee, which in Argentina is you know, not such a big thing, the referees are perfectly used to it, they don't tend to punish players for it, also decided to go a, a bit further by pushing the referee quite forcefully in, in the middle of the chest a couple no, of times. No, but that was after the sent-off. Uh, he apparently... No, 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 that was... Was it? Was it after? Yes, uh, he apparently insulted oh, okay. Truco, because Truco... When Truco... It was Truco or... No, not Truco. It was Balinho. Balinho, sorry. When Balinho uh, explained the, 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 the red card, he pointed at his mouth, like saying, you insulted me. So, oh, okay, right. I, I uh, thought that the, uh, the push was the reason for the red card, but if it's an insult, then that's also a red card. Whatever reason, yes, it, yes. it was idiotic. I mean, even if it had been a clearly intentional handball from Tevez, which the TV commentators were saying it was, they, they were going... Well, at first they were saying it wasn't, and then they, they said it was afterwards, and lots of people on Twitter were going, oh, that looked deliberate. And I, after a bunch of replays, I was struggling to see it, and I don't think it was. It's really. the, the, it just, the discussion, it sounds, when you discuss it so much, means that you are, you are, not, you are not sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it means, well, okay, the referee was... Uh, you can't... You, you watch it three times, four times, and yeah, no, yes, no, yes. And, and after it happened, Tevez went round, what, two challenges... Fed it through to somebody else who had a shot. Was it Benedetto with the first shot as well? And then the goalkeeper fumbled it right onto Benedetto's mm-hmm. foot. So it's not like Himasia could have, couldn't have, have rescued. They, it they paralyzed. Point. They paralyzed, and that's the problem when you complain and you uh, uh, you say do this with your hands. Uh, I mean, you lift your hands, uh, asking for something, but you don't follow the ball nor the players, yeah. the rivals. Uh, that's your mistake. Play to the whistle. Yes. Um, a few minutes after that, Benedetto got a second goal, uh, which was... Was that one a header? No, it was uh, Tevez, I think, uh, 
a pass from Tebes and he like lifted with a oh, that's right. yeah, that was something a very nice finish. And then Christian Pavon with an yeah. absolute thunderbolt from 30-ish yards um, into the top corner um, a few minutes after that. So it was basically the last sort of 15 minutes um, of the first half was, was where it was all decided. Uh, Boca were 3-0 up and a man up at half-time. And from that point on, the second half was... Less interesting, I think it's fair to say. And the, 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 that part of the match was very uh, often in football, in Argentine football, which is after the first goal, uh, before the first goal, which was the polemic with the hand of Tevez, mm. Boca didn't do anything to, to score. It was like a very even match, even even with Gimnasia being not very deep in their yeah. attacks, but yeah, yeah. a bit better. Uh, and when that... It was that play with uh, Tevez handing the ball and, 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 and Benedetto scoring. That was another match, completely yeah. another match. And, and Himnasia shouldn't really have allowed it to happen because given Boca's away record, given the sort of mental block that Boca seemed to have away, even going 1-0 down to Boca at that point wouldn't have been disastrous, especially if they yes. kept 11 men on the pitch, if they kept their focus. Um, but it seemed to... It, it was as if Himnasia just needed an excuse to fold. It was, it was bizarre. But if you're listening... And um, and you heard something about the, the controversy, but you haven't sort of seen any of it yet. Then you know you've got two River fans here, basically telling you that there wasn't really very much to see, that, yes. and that it was probably fine. And certainly the Boca were um, were the better team and, and, and deserved the win. So well done, Boca fans. Uh, much as it pains us to say it, obviously, on getting um, a second league win of the year away from home. And in it was significant. November. It was very has was a meaningful victory because after a defeat like the other day against uh, Rosario Central for Copa Argentina, which would mean theoretically that they won't play Copa Libertadores. I, course, mean, yeah. I, I mean theoretically because we don't know whether uh, there will be a, another place for Argentinian teams because of the Mexican teams. Uh, no, I think that's been. Um, oh, Mexican teams have pulled out of next year, haven't they? Were there going to be any of that? Yes, we. I think we we have we talked about this uh, last episode that they they perhaps quit Copa Libertadores oh, because the of the Conca yeah. Champions uh, calendar. And, uh, well, we we still don't know either whether that will be officially announced, and after that, uh, the the who will occupy that places. Mm. We shall wait and see. Yes. Um, elsewhere at the weekend, then, outside the Big Five, um, the main results were... Let's go to Tucumán 1, Union 1 in the, in the rearranged um, game that was eventually played on Tuesday. It doesn't really tell us very much, but it, it's you know one more point towards Atletico Tucumán's uh, impressive standing in... in the, well, in the relegation table, which is that they're not really in any relegation danger at all if they keep this current form up. Um, and Union similarly aren't really in that battle at all even though it was scheduled for the Monday night um, the other game that, that stood out for me was the Tacheres against Patronato one which of course as we mentioned last week was between um, two teams who had both won three games in a row going into that game um, on the day on the afternoon slash evening Tacheres were comfortably the better team um, they had chance after chance, especially in the second half, and were applying some heavy pressure. And they eventually got the winner through Sebastián Palacios in the 82nd minutes. Palacios, I think, had missed a really, really good chance just a few minutes before. 
Um, and then he, he scored with a very nice finish um, with about eight minutes to go to secure a fourth consecutive win for Tacheres. So they started off, if you'll remember, with, was it two draws followed by three defeats or something? They, they won their first game in the fifth or sixth. Uh, let's see, one, two, three, one, one, we just had nine. So they've now won four in a row. So they won their first game in the sixth round, if I remember rightly, and if I'm counting properly. Um, so after five games, they only have like two points or maybe three points. Um, and we're down at the bottom of the relegation zone. It was zone. Patronato, Defensa Justicia, and now Patron... Uh, no, sorry. Uh, Defensa Justicia, Aldo Sim, no. Well, San Martín, San Juan... The relegation table. Defensa Justicia, and now Patronato. Oh, sorry, you mean the teams that Tacheres have beaten? Yes. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, whereas a few weeks ago, Tacheres, like a month ago, in fact, Tacheres were bottom of the relegation table, they are now ninth. So you'll often hear us say regular listeners have often heard us say that one of the quirks of the Argentine relegation system is that because of this points average system teams who only just come up if they start to win a few games um, can rocket up the table and Tacheres are providing a perfect example of that like, like we say after five games they were on two or three points fewer than a point a game and down at the bottom of the table and now they've got 14 points from nine games um, which is just over one and a half points a game um, and as I say they're in ninth place in that table so if, if they can keep this form up then they're going to be way clear of, of relegation if they fall back into the kind of form they were in at the start of the season um, then they're going to have problems but that form at the start of the season you know, was after uh, starting the season away to Racing at home to River away to, was it Central or something like that they had a relatively difficult run of fixtures um, really early on and ultimately if they can continue to put wins together against teams like the ones that you've just named Andres um, and you know e- even sides like Patronato who for the moment are relatively comfortable themselves they're in 20th place and it's only the bottom 4 27th 28th 29th and 30th it's second season for Patronato Primera right? It's yes for Patronato yeah because obviously Tacheres were the only club who, yes, who, the who got promoted so Patronato came up at the start of this year so they've had the transitional championship and, and this is their second yes. so their, their first full season with their second championship well, but that, that explains why Tacheres is, uh, has uh, gotten a, a big uh, change in, the, in their positions because of the first season they are, they are in, in, in first division yeah um, so we tried to hold that early on in the season and say that um, pre-season prediction that they would be okay was um, was still going to be the case, but it was a bit difficult at times. Um, we wavered, I'll admit that I wavered a little bit and started to wonder whether this was going to start playing on Tacheres' minds and whether they were ever going to get that first win. Uh, but now we're going to go back to it, I think, and say that Tacheres, in my opinion at least, are, are going to be safe. Um, and well done to them for, for that run. Um, other matches that stood out from the weekend, Tigre against Belgrano was pretty good. Uh, Alexis Castro and Diego Morales got the goals for Tigre there, and Claudio Biela scored a penalty for Belgrano um, to put Tigre 2-1 up by the full-time whistle. And apart from that, it wasn't a classic weekend, really, was it? Yes, the, the, I think normal, or, or the uh, very easy to preview the results like Aldo Civi Defensive Justicia and I think the result that fits what we could have thought about that match mm-hmm. uh, and Lanús uh, defeating Sarmiento I think it's when Lanús plays if Lanús uh, plays the mostly or near to the way they played when they were champions uh, 
it's, Sarmiento is not no rival for them. No, indeed. Um, one thing to add is that a week or two ago, I can't remember exactly which episode it was in, we had a discussion about uh, what looked like being the new TV deal, and now we have a much clearer idea of the new TV deal, thanks to Alejandro Casar and Fernando CZYZ. Um, as Andres says, the surname is spelled CZYZ, so we think yes. it's CIS. Um, that would be the, the sensible pronunciation of it, I suppose. Um, they did a report last week on what looks like being the deal. Uh, the bad news for those of you abroad, and indeed for a lot of you in Argentina who don't have um, fancy cable or satellite TV, uh, is that you're not going to be able to get free streams or free-to-air. Some matches are probably still going to remain free-to-air, the odd game. Um, but the big five and the sort of biggest of the other teams um, are going to be switching to private cable or satellite television uh, via Cablevisión and DirecTV, um, shown I, I, on I heard the other Sports and this new channel that Turner are planning to launch in Argentina. Alpha TV. Um, ah, yeah, of course, which is going to be under. under we will run by Turner, Turner, I think. But no, uh, where I heard the other day was just the, the other way. Uh, about the five, the big five teams. Perhaps I I misunderstood, but mm. what I heard is that the big five will have to remain at the TV open TV. I mean, it's Channel really? 13 and Telefe and and those channels. I I well, te heard Telefe, of course, the, the channel being bought by Turner, so that that could make some sense yes. um, if they were going to remain. But that would be an interesting. So you'd be getting the private companies to pay for the matches. That yes, which will be useless to play, to pay because, well, yeah. of course, you can be the Vélez supporter and want to watch Vélez uh, matches and you have to pay. But uh, if that is true, uh, well, uh, yes, it uh, would be most, not all, not the, 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 the what it was, uh, prom uh, the promise that it was held in campaign, but mostly to be free. I, I mean, I... I I believe that it, if it's that way, it will be free for people in terms of the open TV, which is o air TV, uh, no open TV, sorry, mm. which is Channel 13, Telefe, uh, Channel 9, or or America TV, uh, the older the older Channel 2, will be free for 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 the for for people. I I, I understood that. I don't know if it's oh, wrong. That's... It'll be interesting. I mean, this is obviously still going to change. Nothing's final yet. But basically, what we do know is from January onwards, um, yeah, there, a there, lot of the matches there are, are of, going to be on. Lots of things to be discussed discuss, and that won't be discussed because there is no time. Because, uh, I mean, January is in two, less than two months. And, yeah, exactly. And, and they and still don't know there will be Superliga or whatever. And it's the AFA. They yes. almost got suspended from FIFA today. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, not really, but they got warned that they were on the verge of being suspended from FIFA today um, at, at one meeting, uh, which we'll perhaps talk about briefly after the break. Um, but yeah, the, the, another thing that I should mention, which might lift some spirits slightly, particularly for those more dedicated Argentine football watchers among you, um, is that one model that has been suggested uh, for this is that uh, people without cable TV packages in Argentina um, will be able to pay, uh, they're talking about 300 pesos which at the exchange rate um, yesterday, if you're in the UK, uh, is, I mean, it's about 20 to 1, so 300 pesos is about 15 pounds. Um, 
one five pounds a month um, will be able to pay to have sort of access to live games like a Netflix for live football style service is how they're marketing it and Horacio Gennari who is the former director of Football Parathodos and is uh, one of the sort of head honchos at TV, if, if it ever gets launched because they've been talking about it for such a long time um, has suggested that this could, this could be open to uh, people abroad as well um, so you won't need VPNs you would, you would have to pay but you know if you want to support Argentine football then it could prove to be an option having said that as we keep saying this is the AFA we're talking about and this is Argentina that we're talking about so if they're talking about launching it next year maybe it'll be an option for you by say spring 2023 somewhere around yes. there yeah? and, and if you subscribe if you are a foreigner listener uh, take into account that if you See in the schedule that there will be a match played that will be played <laughs> at 6 p.m. Yes, that could change. Indeed, it could. Um, kickoff times tended to be very, very prompt during the nothing but football para todos era, um, while the while Cristina was in charge because they had to get the government um, adverts out at half time and whatnot at, at certain times, and they were always very strict about it. But uh, before football para todos and since. Mauricio Macri has become the president they've become much more lax again and uh, you'll frequently get games kicking off rather later so not everything is gospel um, we're going to take a short break now and when we come back we will as I said a minute ago um, extrapolate slightly or expand slightly on my comment about the Aformas getting banned from FIFA and then much more importantly um, for the moment we will preview two World Cup qualifiers um, more than anything, we're going to preview one particular World Cup qualifier, which is, of course, Brazil versus Argentina. So don't go away. mentioned uh, before the break Argentina were, were threatened um, by FIFA earlier today, AFA were threatened by FIFA, this was in Buenos Aires because there's a meeting going on um, we're recording on Wednesday, so this meeting was happening on, it was supposed to happen on Monday and Tuesday and then the new AFA statute uh, that's going to come into to effect when the regularisation um, committee uh, leaves office was going to be signed today, right? It was meant to be signed on, mon- on Wednesday, I think. Um, and they kept on discussing other things and blah, blah, blah. And there were a couple of people from the regularization committee. There were some lawyers from um, River and Boca and, and several of the other teams um, and, a, and a few directors. Um, and there were a lawyer and an accountant or something from FIFA um, who basically got fed up with everything and said look you you don't realize that we're being actually serious about this you really do need to um you know to to apply this or we'll just head back to zurich and then we'll send you the statute and you can sign it yourself and you'll have to stick with it uh otherwise you could have the same thing that happened to guatemala a few years ago happen to you and what that meant was um argentina could be kicked out of fifa uh obviously only temporarily but um as a punishment so 
the uh, crisis at the AFA continues to be ongoing. It continues to be entertaining. Um, uh, but they made it very clear that, um, you know, we always sort of say, oh, FIFA aren't going to kick Argentina out because that would mean Lionel Messi wouldn't get to go to the World Cup and blah, blah, blah. Um, and in fact, that was precisely the thing they said. They said, you guys keep on, you know, fobbing us off with this shit about Messi, basically. <laughs> but it's not going to help you if you don't get, you know, do stuff by the rule book. Um, so that was uh, the explanation for, for what I was saying, uh, that my passing comment earlier. And now, Brazil versus Argentina in. Brazil's first match back in the Mineral since the 7-1 in the World Cup. Andres, you feeling optimistic? I yes, I I think we won't score seven goals, of course. <laughs> but uh, it, if it, if there were a bad moment to go and play against Brazil, in Brazil was this uh, because of course Argentina is not giving any any signal of. Of of uh, playing a, a football to to defeat them to defeat Brazil, and Brazil is the other way, playing better every match now from, yeah. from since the days in charge of of the bench. Uh, when Dunga was uh, there, it was another another uh, was totally different. But now Gabriel Jesus looks like a powerful striker uh, along with Neymar with the. Renato Augusto, I think it's another midfielder. Yeah. Um, they look now now like a real team, and Argentina, well, no. <laughs> so, uh, of course, I hope uh, that... I, I, I think... Uh, have you heard when there is a journalist asking a player if they sign out uh, a, a, a draw for against Brazil and the, and, the, and the victory against Colombia to get four points mm. out of these two matches? Well, I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I would think that that's, um, that's what, what Bausa uh, would be happy with, especially given that the Brazil game is, is away from home. Um, and as you say, Brazil are, are looking like the stereotype that those of us in the Anglophone world have about Brazil, uh, again, which is essentially based on the 1970 and 1982 World Cups, which um, has not been the case for a very long time, of course. Um, but they, they've been... It, it's been night and day as well. It, it, it was, you know, not as if TT had an awful lot of um, time with the squad, um, and and yet by changing a few names and and the system, um, it, it's tremendously more uh, entertaining to watch now uh, to watch the Brazilian national team, and it's going to be interesting, obviously, against Argentina because in spite of the fact that these two managers have both been in charge for exactly the same amount of time. I mean, not date-wise, but in terms of the number of matches. After the Copa Centenario. Precisely, yeah. Um, So in spite of the fact that they've been in charge for the same number of games, um, they're, of course, both playing very differently, as as you say, Andres. Brazil, superb, and have won four out of four. Um, And and Bowser's Argentina, I think it's one... One win, two draws, and a defeat, isn't it? Um, and, and playing much more disjointedly. But this is the biggest challenge, you know, certainly that uh, that Brazil have had since Titi took over. I don't know whether about necessarily since Argentina because they played Uruguay. Um, but then, who are the other opponents that Argentina have played at that time? Venezuela, Peru, and um, Paraguay. Paraguay, thank you. Yeah, uh, who. Who, who beat them, of course, uh, in, in Argentina's last home game. Um, 
and so it, it's it's a challenge for for both sides, and it's going to be interesting. I, I, I sort of can't help wondering whether Bowser himself is going to feel sort of slightly galvanised by this, whether he's going to think right now that the pressure is on, and now that any result will do as long as it's you know we get a point or more, whether he can actually start to put some of his own imprint on the team. Um, the first thing that we do know is is that uh, whereas Brazil seemed quite likely to, well. They're either going to continue with the the sort of four two 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 that they've been using so far, or um, this. Uh, I've got the global website up at the moment, and, and they seem to be suggesting that it might be a four one four one. So the the I'll give you the formation as well. I've got it in front of me. Uh, would be Alisson in goal, Daniel Alves, Marquinhos, Miranda, and Marcelo um, in defence, and then Fernandinho in sort of central defensive midfield. Um, and then a midfield four of Paulinho, Renato Augusto, Filipe Coutinho and Neymar with Gabriel Jesus obviously on his own up front but you would think there that um, Filipe Coutinho and, and, and Neymar are going to be a bit more advanced um, the talk has been of Bausa dropping the 4-2-3-1 which Argentina have looked rather disjointed in at times for a 4-4-2 for this one sort of lopsided 4-4-2 I think that's the more to put it in in, in a way that uh, could be good for Argentina it's uh, the most positive positive thing is that it's the way m- that Bausa more wants to play like uh, because they he's more comfortable with uh, of course you can adapt it to the players and play more offensively or more uh, with more enganches or more I don't know uh, strikers if you have but the way the way Bausa likes to play or his the, his ADN in terms of, of, of his favorite system is the, is that is to not to be the, the 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 team the main responsible in terms of attacking is they the, his he likes more to be to play like this a four four two anyway that the system is irrelevant sometimes uh, to the, the 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 style or the the type of, of, of play he wants is to be expecting the other team and to have more counter-attack style. Yeah. So that's positive in the way that he's not uh, trying to play in a different way that he wants because when uh, when, a, when a coach uh, tries to invent and to play uh, in, a, in a way to like other, the other people and not to be sure of what he wants, that's a real problem. Uh, and against Brazil, in Brazil, that's a, uh, if there is a match to play... Uh, more uh, trying to 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 be care of careful of the, of the other team is this of course yeah indeed um, it does look like this four four two it it looks to me um, from from the layout of it like like it's going to sort of turn in when Argentina have the ball it's going to turn into more of a four three three so Argentina's projected formation is going to be Sergio Romero in goal. Um, across the back is going to be Pablo Sabaleta, Nicolás Otamendi, Ramiro Funet Mori, and Emmanuel Mas. Um, welcome return, in, in my opinion, for Mas from uh, Marcos Rojo's rather disastrous showing at left back in the last couple of games. Um, and then in the midfield, if we take it as a four, it's going to be Enzo Perez on the right, Javier Mascherano, and Lucas Biglia in the middle, and Angel Di Maria on the left wing with Gonzalo Higuain and Lionel Messi as the two up front. And um, what seems to be the plan, um, and I think this is kind of backed up, in fact, even by the fact that Enzo Perez gave an interview today, 
or a press conference. He was the Argentina player who was at the press conference, and he said today, you know, I've not played this position in, in quite years. a long time. Um, and I, I think that one thing that Bouts is thinking is precisely that Perez isn't actually going to be playing as a right winger in this game. What he's going to be expected to do is when Argentina win the ball, he's going to tuck inside to, to help out Mascherano and Biglia to shore up the, the midfield so that Brazil can't counter quickly if they get the ball back. And Di Maria on the other side is going to be told to bomb up and to, to help Messi and Higuain. Which I'm going to be interested to see because... You know, one of the things that, that we've said, that I've said particularly many times on this podcast, is that when Di Maria doesn't have to think, when he's just told to run up and down the pitch, sometimes with the ball, sometimes without it, um, and not really think overthink things too much, um, that's when you get the best out of him. So I'm going to be interested to see exactly what kind of role he plays in that left um, sort of left wing role. Um, and obviously Enzo Perez being on the right-hand side and, and being able to drop back and help out Pablo Sabaleta the plan there is going to be for him to those two between them to try and nullify Neymar um, which has to be a major preoccupation for Argentina given the you know quality that Neymar has and also the in spite of a relatively good defensive record that Argentina had up until the last couple of games um, the shakiness let's say that, that sometimes is exhibited in the Argentine backline Yes and, uh, honestly Di Maria they, they, they last a uh, few matches he has been playing I don't know if he, he tried to think and not to run, but he he was like uh, crashing all the time. He, mm. he hasn't uh, been finishing the, the place uh, neither with a cross or neither with a, either with a cross or neither with a shot. Uh, he was like uh, amigu, amigos in in terms of, of, of the finishing of, of the place. Uh, and, well, uh, perhaps some Racing fans want to or expected uh, Acuña to be uh, instead of Di Maria and finally he won't be even uh, in the bench I think he no. will be out of the bench he's, he's not going to be in the uh, his place day squad will be incredibly taken by by Lavezzi yeah which is um, an interesting call uh, for Bowser to make which I don't think that we're going to say very much about because we don't know why he's made it he's the boss well, that is something incredible in terms strange. of I think I say incredibly because, uh, and, and here is where where we start to to to, uh, to wonder whether Bausa has uh, his decisions are firm or not, mm. because once one week ago he said that obviously Lavesi won't play these matches, and now finally he will go to the bench. Uh, so that's something very very strange. It's only players, not he won't define. Uh, all, all of the match, but uh, it's, it's to start with is is it's something that perhaps he doubted, but he didn't want to say. Yeah, and I do wonder. Uh, Colombia are playing Chile as well on yeah. Thursday, and, and I was looking at a few of the quotes from Jose Pekaman's press conference um, earlier today, just just a few hours ago. Um, and Pekerman has called up Miguel Angel Borja, who uh, was the, the, the guy who Atletico Nacional signed ahead of the Copa Libertadores semi-finals, um, whose goals took Atletico Nacional to that title earlier this year. And it was the current top, I think now joint top scorer um, of the Copa Sudamericana. And it's his first Colombia call-up. And he was you know, asked about him and uh, he said, look, he's in fantastic form, but you have to question... You have to bear in mind that um, if I give him his debut now, it's, he's going to be playing really, really strong 
opponents in in a very kind of high pressure game. You know, Colombia against Chile. Chile maybe not in the best form at the moment, but they're a very experienced team. And so he's you know Peckerman was making the point that do you really want to give him his first call up there? And maybe Bowser's thinking something similar with uh, with Acuna. You know, because yes. Argentina against Brazil, it does not get any more high pressure than that um, in international football. Um, well, I mean, okay, you've got a World Cup final, say, but in, in terms of in terms of a rivalry, that's as big as it gets. Um, and so, just maybe he's he's you know thinking, well, Acuna can get a run out possibly at, at home to Colombia, um, which is also going to be a high pressure game against very good opponents, but it's not quite going to be on the level when it just comes to yes. desperately needing that result. It's not a bad, not a bad idea for a player who hasn't been uh, in the national team uh, a single time. To stick with the environment, to be with the players, to 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 start to feel what is to be called up for national team, mm. and share with the other players, and to, uh, of course, to perhaps uh, look for advice from the from Lionel Messi, for example. Uh, of course, there are players like him that will say, "I am watching Messi uh, here right now. He's beside me," yeah. and, and that is incredible for him. But as a player, he can be, uh, yes, uh, stick with the, the environment. Um, in, in that point, at that point, I, I, I watch it, I, I see it uh, perfect. I, I, I think it's, it's right. The problem is the, the, the performance from Di Maria, who has been, who has, uh, which has been good enough. For no, exactly. To, to the point when Di Maria himself, will remember, admitted a month ago after the last World Cup doubleheader that... Uh, you know that he wasn't playing enough, that he wasn't playing well enough, that that uh, he wasn't even playing well for his club. So how could he expect to um, to even get a call up this time round? And yet he's in the starting eleven by the look of it. Uh, so not you know perfect, but as I say, I, I have a sneaky suspicion that that Bowser's going to feel in his own way liberated by the fact that this is one game where he can just say, look, we're going to do things my way because a point is a good result for Argentina. I do worry over the course of the double header. I mean, first of all, we can't really do too much to preview the Colombia game because it's going to be an entirely different circumstance. Things are going to depend a lot on how things go on Thursday night against Brazil. Um, and you don't know what system's going to be used. There's not really been any indicator of that yet because to all appearances, this 4-4-2 slash 4-3-3 that they've got lined up for Thursday appears to be to you know counteract Neymar and, 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 and a very, very heavily informed Brazil side and so who knows when they're going to use that at home to Colombia um, on Tuesday um, apart from that uh, you asked me whether I was optimistic or not hmm. and one good way of being optimistic is to think that uh, during the la the, the past uh, qualifiers uh, for Brazil 2014 when Argentina had to play against Colombia not the same uh, way that this but uh, as a away condition, I think it was in Barranquilla. Yeah, they were also in this complicated situation. But after that match, uh, they started winning. They they changed their the face. I mean, footballistically talking, and uh, they finally got the the, the 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 ticket to the to the to the World Cup. So that's a point, a good point to 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 remember in in order to well, the players perhaps to be. To remember that that uh, complicated situation and to try to repeat, of course. Absolutely. Um, I do worry about the well, worry on Argentina's behalf. Let's say about the pressure on the results because. 
by and large, I, I would have said sort of all other things being equal that away to Brazil and at home to Colombia for this double header, if if you know Argentina were fairly comfortable, you'd be happy really with with two draws, um, and yet. Argentina now are in a situation where they can't afford two draws. Um, they really need, as you said, four points. Um, obviously, you would think if they can scramble a win away to Brazil on Thursday, that that would be almost like a bonus. Um, but what they need to aim for, probably, is, is a draw to Brazil and, and to beat Colombia. Um, and given Colombia's form, that's not going to be easy either. That's the question mark yes. still over it. But it, so, so it adds that pressure. Um, yes, and, and the rivals know about Argentina, the, the, the way they are uh, at the table, and much more now that they, that be, uh, uh, outside the pitch positions have changed because of the Chile and Bolivia uh, uh, problem, but the problem for Bolivia, not for Chile. Um, and if Brazil and Colombia uh, are able to leave Argentina, for example, out of the World Cup, they will, because... They, they they will be great it will be great for them to be at the World Cup and not Argentina uh, not for football perhaps not for FIFA to be uh, a World Cup without Messi will be terrible but not for Chile uh, not for Colombia and not for Brazil uh, for them will be will be great so if they want they, if they can they will they will uh, leave Argentina out of the World Cup With these matches are of course key in order to 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 be in a better position because after these matches there will be only six to go. Yeah. Um, the other matches in the double header because of course it's not just Argentina who are playing here in this. We're not going to preview them, but I will tell you what they are. Um, along with kickoff times, I'm going to give the kickoff times Buenos Aires time to be completely unambiguous because of course there are a few um, time zones across the continent. So all of these kickoff times are going to be Buenos Aires time. So you take two hours off the time that I say if you're on the eastern seaboard of the United States and you add three hours onto it if you're in the United Kingdom or four hours onto it if you're in Central Europe. Um, so the kickoff times are as follows. Colombia v Chile is on Thursday at 530 Uruguay v Ecuador is on Thursday at 8 o'clock. Paraguay v Peru is at half past 8. Venezuela v Bolivia is at 9 o'clock. And Brazil versus Argentina is at quarter to 9. For some reason it's showing on the FIFA website as quarter to 10, but I've checked it on a couple of other places. Yes, I thought it was one hour before. Um, Yeah, it is. Um, so FIFA appear to think that Brazil and Argentina share a time zone, which I'm not sure they do at this time of year. Um, but anyway, uh, and then on, so according to the FIFA website, it's a quarter to 10, but as I say, the TV guide and everything else has got it showing as quarter to nine. So we'll see what time Brazil v Argentina is. Um, and then on Tuesday next week, Bolivia v Paraguay at five o'clock, Ecuador v Venezuela at six o'clock, Chile v Uruguay and Argentina at Colombia, uh, versus, sorry, Argentina at home to Colombia both at half past eight, and Peru versus Brazil is at quarter past 11, all on Tuesday. Um, so, the kickoff times may or may not be accurate, <laughs> because... Um, so you want to, you, you are in the UK and want to watch Brazil against Peru, you will have to be wake, woken up until 3 a.m.? Yes, for you. Um, well, no, yeah, you'll have to be, well, longer than that by the time it finishes. Uh, because it'll be finishing at what midnight 
bloody hell, midnight our time, so it'll be finishing at one o'clock in the morning in Buenos Aires. Um, that will be four o'clock in the morning ah, four, um, three, yeah. in, in England. Um, yeah, as I say, the kickoff times there that I've just read out there may or may not be um, actually correct because uh, the Brazil Argentina one particularly looks wrong to me. But uh, FIFA is saying <laughs> that it's 21.45 Brazil, um, Buenos Aires time. So let's just Google time in Brazil now. How? Time in Brazil right now is 21.53, which means they are an hour ahead of us, which means that the FIFA website hilariously is wrong about the kickoff time. Um, it's at quarter to nine Argentine time. What time have they got for the Venezuela? Yes, oh, yes quarter to nine also in so the Premiers. The Venezuela game is, yes, that looks right as well. So the Venezuela game is 9pm Argentine time. Brazil v Argentina is at quarter to nine Argentine time. Yes. I'm pretty certain. Um Listeners' questions next. We've got a few, obviously, that we're going to have answered already um, in the course of our discussions this evening. They are as follows. Uh, where do these questions start? Let's see. Um, Chris Murtag asks whether he should send his predictions this week or next. The answer is next week, Chris, but you only need to predict 14 games because for some reason... Um, the Alpha have scheduled the Vélez Sarsfield versus somebody else game. Uh, Vélez against Defensa Justicia to be played this coming Sunday. It's true. <laughs> I, I, I checked the Alpha website to make sure it was the case as well, and, and it's on there, and they say that they're going to be playing it uh, ahead of the rest of the round for some reason. So just do the other 14 games next week, Chris. Um Darren Paul asks the egg Marcos Acuna makes the national team will he make his debut the answer to which as I say we've um, sort of already answered that one it's, it's a, well not on Thursday at least because he's not in the squad um, against Colombia possibly uh, Manuel Schweitzer asks what do you think the Argentine squad can achieve during the upcoming games against Brazil and Colombia we will be predicting uh, our result predictions at the very end of the episode so stay tuned for that and then Darren's back and asks, uh, Racing have been inconsistent of late. How much is this linked to Grimi missing? Do Newells score their goal if Grimi's on the pitch? I say no. Darren says no, that should be. Yes. Uh, well, it, I, I can say it was a very good play from from Advincula, the, the Peruvian right back with Quinion, mm. uh, who uh, made a great assistance, assist there. Uh, for again for Advincula who finally got the pass for for uh, for Mika, for Mika. Uh, and I don't I don't I haven't been watching too much Grimm in order to to hate him or to say he is awful. He's uh, having a good campaign. I'm not sure whether yes. we can really answer whether you know had he been on the pitch he would have been able to stop things. But um, as I said, sort of when we started talking about Racing at the start of the episode, I think that the inconsistency prior to the weekend just gone is as much as anything that they're getting used to Sielinski still Sielinski I think as well took a little bit of time to get used to managing without any offence meant to Belgrano a, a bigger club um, and the expectations that went with it particularly with regards to how they were expected to play at home and I think that little by little that, that's getting through now I think Racing um, on was it Saturday or Sunday Saturday wasn't it um, we're just beginning to to sort of look like they're more at home now with yeah, what Sielinski's asking them to do. They're starting to be more reliable independently of the Grimi or, or Vitor or, or 
whatever, Gaston Diaz, for, for to put names, different names in the in defense or Pichud or whatever is there in the in the in the, in the matches. Uh, what I think the main goal for for Zielinski or, or what I think he wants to achieve is to for a team to play the same way independently of the players that uh, are there in the in the pitch. Mm. Uh, and of course, that's the more difficult thing to 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 get. But I think that was for the main goal for for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Darren, funnily enough, also asks a player that Andres just mentioned a minute ago, Amvincula of Newells. When does he move to Europe? I think it might not be that far away, I have to admit. Um, he's He was a little bit frustrating when he first signed for them. He, he'd look sort of alternately good and, and disastrous, but in a Newells team who were doing that a lot as well, and far more often than not, were just looking awful. Um, and now that Newells have hit some form, I think it's helped, you know, obviously, with a very similar, as we said last week, a very similar group of players um, to the ones who were struggling so badly last season. Or we say last season, I mean the, the transitional championship in the first half of this year. Um, it, it, it can only help him, um, you know, him and, and all of the other players. But uh, Vincula, I think, has been one of the more eye-catching performers, possibly because of that role he plays. He can play midfield, he can play right back, he can burst forward, he can play defensive midfield, he can play right yes. wing. Um and I think that his versatility is, is, is going to be something, if, if, if nothing else. Um, and when you ally that to his performances so far this season, um, yeah, I suspect it's, you know, middle of next year, the end of next year, maybe. Where, where did he come from? Uh, He's from Peru? Peruvian, yeah. I think he signed from Alianza Lima, maybe? Let because I perhaps, I, I, don't, I don't know whether Europe, but if he's not Europe, I, I see him playing for in Mexico, perhaps, uh, because... Uh, players that have a good uh, performance in here in Argentina, the, their first season, uh, I I, watch, I see them uh, going abroad, perhaps, but not yeah. not uh, it has not to be Europe uh, uh, because uh, he ju- has played. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, he's yes. actually played in Europe already. He's slightly older than I thought. He's twenty six. Oh. Um, so he started out with Juan Alrich and has played since for Sporting Cristal in Peru, um, Tavria Simferopol in Ukraine, 1899 Hoffenheim, um, which I think is just Hoffenheim, isn't it? Yes, yeah, THG Hoffenheim, the ones that you've heard of, uh, in Germany, Ponte Preta in Brazil, back to Sporting Cristal in 2014, and then Victoria Setubal in Portugal, and Bursaspor in Turkey, that was where he joined oh. Newells from. Um, at the yes, I, I thought he was younger, so... I, I thought he was sort of 22, 23, and I didn't realise that he'd been in Europe before, so... A return to Europe um, with the form that he's showing for Newell's at the moment might not be out of the question, uh, especially because he's on loan at Newell's. So, in fact, we can give you a very good answer, which is he'll be returning to Europe, if you count Turkey as Europe, um, at the end of this year, Darren. So there you go. That would have been a much simpler question to answer if I'd looked up his playing history beforehand, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> Darren also says that I saw young Mauricio Tevez benched by Newells. Has his stock slipped of late, or am I reading too much into it? I think you might be. I mean, he's still 18, yeah. 19. So, I mean, when you say young, he's really young still. Yes, he made the great uh, uh, debut, I think, against Boca. Uh, or that was one of the first matches scoring so against them. He's 20 now, in fact. Yes. And it was two, two years ago. So, yes, he's still a kid. Hmm. Um... 
but yeah, I mean, he's, he's featured. Uh, he's, he's been coming off the bench. Um, I can't remember whether he did it the weekend or not. Um, but he certainly has done in the last few weeks. And, you know, has, has been playing a part as sort of one of the, the first substitutions to come on, as it were. Yeah, in fact, he did come off the bench. Um, it was the second sub against Racing. Uh, came on for Joan Amor Rosso. Um, and, and so I, I think it's a, a sort of a case that in some ways giving him that role just takes a little bit of pressure off him compared with starting him week in, week out. Um, he's obviously tremendously talented. He's still very young. So I would not give up on him just yet by any means. Um, then we have uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, um, says the best Argentine stadium when it's full because Huracan's really stood out on Saturday. It's a bit of a kick in the teeth for Huracan themselves to, you know, the stadium was almost full um, because River were playing there against the Estudiantes. Uh, but I happen to agree with Liam, actually. I, I, I said this before kick-off, and I, I've said it before. I, I think I've been to one relatively well-attended game at Huracan, um, and it's just such a nice stadium, full stop. Yes. It's, just, it's beautiful. Could be. uh, it's not the most comfortable to sit in because the chairs are like concrete armchairs, um, but it is. It looks amazing, and yeah, when it's full, it, it's um, the atmosphere is really good. So I'm going to go with Orakan actually. Yes, could be. I, I like, of course, to to give an opinion uh, when I haven't been to every stadium, mm-hmm. even being Argentine, uh, it's perhaps there are a lot of them. But Orakan, yes, it could be one of them. There are obviously, you know, as Andres says, we can only give opinions on the ones we've been to. Um, and La Bombonera, atmosphere-wise, is, is is amazing because of how close it is to the pitch. Racing, similarly, with the roof, which helps to keep a lot of noise in. Um, and River, you know, the, the history and the fact there isn't... Apart from behind the goal on the lower tier, you don't really have a bad sightline anywhere in River. Um, but, as I say, I, I'm going to agree with what Liam implies, really, which is Orican. Um Because it's just architecturally so lovely as well. Uh, so I'm going to go with that. And Jamie Davis has sent us a tweet uh, with some shot ratings, which he says he's compiled himself. They're not... I, I asked him this, and it's not expected goals. Um, uh, which he says makes Boca the best team in the league based on data so far this season. Um, I won't attempt to explain this table because I don't really understand it myself. But he says, what are our thoughts on it? Um, and I would... Merely say I, I did tweet him separately and, and ask afterwards whether he had a home and away breakdown because of the fact that Boca have looked strong at home um, and really, apart from this weekend, have looked really quite spectacularly poor away. Um, and unfortunately, he doesn't yet because, as he says, the sample size isn't really big enough yet. Um, so I'm not really quite sure to make what to make of it. I mean, I'm, the, the league table obviously suggests that Estudiantes are by quite a distance the best team in the league. And having watched, you know, most of the games, if not all of the games of, of you know the top sort of seven or eight teams, um, I would go along with the league table at this stage. I think, in part because Boca have had a relatively kind fixture list in their home games especially so far yes the, perhaps the fact is that uh, Estudiantes for example needs less shots on goal to, to score or, or they have a less percentage of well of that's one thing that we can get from here yeah. which is shots per goal for STGF so Boca have 6.6 which is very low River have 6 
Estudiantes have 6.4, so River and Boca, and so look at that, who's that, San Lorenzo, San Lorenzo have 5.8, so those teams are all slightly better in terms of how many shots they take to score a goal, um, but overall the quality of the shots is is what, I think this is what this uh, first column means that Jamie's said, um, it is where it sort of goes, uh, where he gives Boca the advantage, and obviously that's, I guess, I don't know how subjective or objective it is because I can't quite work out whether it's uh, coming together of all of the other stats or whether he's using some of his own judgment as well yes this numbers that's error basically I, I would say that at the moment the best team in the league are Estudiantes um, although obviously you can't really judge it until everybody's played everybody else um, and in the Argentine league you don't really get to judge it even after that because everybody only plays everybody else once and then they're classical rivals twice so it depends who your classical rival is as well um but when you take who each team has played so far into account as well, I think that Boca would probably drop down a little bit from that ranking, um, purely because they've played sort of a fair few of the weaker teams in the league um, at home. Yes, we, we expect, far. for example, against River to have less shots and goal than they usually have. Terry, mm. uh, in, in theory, and, and speaking in the previous uh, games, but... Uh, uh, after that match, perhaps the, the average comes down. I am, however, going to retweet the table uh, that Jamie sent us from the Handapot Twitter because it's interesting to look at. Uh, you know, we're not trying to uh, scoff at the statistic keeping at all, uh, merely that um, I'm not quite sure that I would agree with the uh, conclusions that he reaches just yet, albeit, as I say, with the rider that I don't fully understand the table myself, um, or at least not all of the columns. Um, and now we arrive at that point where I'm not going to play any Mystic theme music. I'm just going to ask Andres your predictions for Argentina versus, sorry, for Brazil versus Argentina and for Argentina versus Colombia. Well, it's really hard, even though there are, there are only two matches. But uh, I will go for a 1 1 draw against Brazil and a 2 1 victory against Colombia. No, no, no a lot of goals, not, not a lot of goals, and, and very. Uh, a dull match tomorrow, and uh, of course, uh, as, as the result says, a very a very tight match against uh, against Colombia in San Juan on Tuesday. Interesting. So now I've got to make one, and in order to be different to Andres, I'm going to go for. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to go for two-one win against Brazil. Um, and a 1-0 win against Colombia. Okay. I don't have a great deal of faith in that, but we'll see what ends up happening. Um, that is it for this week on Hand of Pods. Join us next week when we will be deconstructing um, Argentina's probably disastrous performances in both matches now that we've um, predicted four and six points, respectively, from the two of them. Um, and we'll be previewing what remains 14 fifteenths of the 10 uh, the 10th the round of the Primera División season um, for now thank you very much for listening please tell your friends we very much appreciate the support um, oh the other thing we'll be doing next week is celebrating six years of the life of this podcast because we turned six on Sunday um, so thank you very much for listening to us for five years and 11 months and 27 I think 26 days so far Please keep listening to us for another week so that you can join in the 6th anniversary celebrations next week. And it's goodbye from Andres. 
Goodbye. Thank you. And goodbye from me. Thank you and goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.